Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan, on page 1041 in your church Bibles, or 1581 in the large print Bible. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Well, good morning once again. I represent compassion, and uh, by way of starting this morning, it's going to be twofold. The first thing I want to do is, on behalf of compassion, I want to thank this fellowship and those who are generously giving to the work of compassion, to the children that are being sponsored. And I'm going to run through a quick... Now, this is where technology... Technology is a wonderful thing, but... I don't know about you, but I, I'm a bit of a technophobe. And uh, so I've pressed the right button. Praise the Lord. And if I don't, well, we'll try again. Let's see. There we go. Yeah. This is by way of a thank you. Um, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. I don't expect you to remember them. But there are now 1.8 million children in Compassion Project sponsorships. That's a big number. 1.8 million. Um, And there's over 7,000 church partnerships in 25 different countries where there's 1.8 million children are being blessed and cared for and nurtured and educated and all the things that comes with the Compassion Sponsorship Program. But you as a church, you are uh, individually within the church sponsoring Actually, I think it's more than 15. We have got 15 listed, but I suspect that there are actually more than 15 being sponsored from folks here in this church. 15 and some young lives being transformed and changed and given hope when they had no hope. 
when what they saw before them was probably what their parents have had to endure, and yet there are now 15-some in Ethiopia whose lives are being transformed. 15 children, here are their faces. They know you, and you know them. You've been writing, you've been corresponding, you've been giving, you've been blessing them. And their lives are very, very different. It's in one country. It is in Ethiopia. It doesn't look much there, but Ethiopia is a big place. I know some of you have been. I was there myself in November. But uh, in one project in Ethiopia, they are being blessed beyond measure. 63 letters were sent in the last year. 38 of them from the beneficiaries, from the children who were being sponsored. And 25 sent from yourselves. 12 Sponsors, I don't know who the three are who don't write, but don't feel guilty because <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it? And even, you know, I've got a sponsored child and, and I write a couple of three times a year, including Christmas, and I work for compassion. So don't feel guilty. It's one of those things, especially when you're thinking, yeah, but what do I write about? I can't write about that I've got a new television or a new iPad or, a, you know, we've got to be sensitive, we've got to be careful. But what do I write about? You know, I went up for a walk along the river with my family or it can be anything that's going to encourage the child. Believe me, they love getting letters. When I was in Ethiopia, I saw two things. One, I well, saw a number of things and I was equally humbled and inspired at the same time. But one of the things that I saw was a child being told that they had a sponsor for the very first time. And the excitement was, it's like all the Christmases had come together. We, I can't explain to you how marvelous it was. They ran home and they told the family that they had a sponsor. It was life-changing. And in their own very childish way, they knew it was going to be life-changing. The family certainly knew it was life-changing. That was one of the things that I saw. The other thing was actually about letters. I saw the children being given a letter from their sponsor. And they were, maybe not quite as excited about having, unless it was Christmas, but, you know, they were, they'd got a letter. And they were going to run home, and they were going to share that letter with the whole family. They were all going to read it. They were all going to be part of it. So letters are important. It is about the relationship. It's, yes, the money is crucial, but equally so is the relationship for a child to know that you love them, that you're praying for them, even though you've never met them. It's transforming. Eight girls, seven boys, praying that today that number might be a little bit more in each, but we'll see how things progress. One thing here, again, a lot of different numbers, um, but there's been a lot of time invested in these children on your behalf. Uh, they've all had a Bible. They've all had medical checks, numerous medical checks, and meals and nutrition, and all of those things that we signed up for. The children are experiencing those. They're being blessed by those. And here's another big number, £7,500. That's how much you as a church have given to your sponsored children in the last year, just in the last 12 months. That is a life-transforming number. So I want to thank you on behalf of these children that their lives are definitely going to be different. They have a different path. They have a different future because of the sponsorship. So I want to thank you on behalf of them and also on behalf of Compassion. We're going to have a couple of interviews now of 
you folks who have who sponsor a child. We have Val and we have Ollie. So if they could come up to the front, please, Val and Ollie. We're going to ask them a few questions about compassion. Um, it's interesting. I go to lots of different churches, and some churches have never heard of compassion. You've got to start at point number one and walk them right through the whole process and everything. But, but then you come to a church like this, and I, I suspect some of you will know more about compassion as an experience than maybe even I do. But it's always good to hear from folks who are sponsors about compassion. And so we'll start with Val. Okay, Val, what first... Um, where, did, where was your first connection with compassion? Where did you hear about it first? In this church. In this church, okay. And, and what, what was it about the message that you heard that you thought, that's something I'd like to sign up for? Yeah, well, I, I just love children anyway. And um, I just thought it's such a simple thing to do, mm. um, just to help. And, you know, we had the privilege of going to see the project to Ethiopia, and it was just amazing to see exactly what happens there. I, I was so impressed with the records that were kept, realising that the children are fed, clothed, their medical um, needs are met, their educational needs are met, their spiritual needs are met, and their families are cared for. Mm. And in these records, you could see that all the money that we'd sent was listed, ticked, and acknowledged by the child. And that was, for me, that was really encouraging mm. to think that that child is really accepting that. And we also went to his home and saw the awful conditions they live in. But, mm. but the project, it was just amazing. Mm. Yeah. Ollie. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, it's better you than me, to be honest, because when you get those who are, who are so passionate and sponsors, um, it, it's, it's great to hear the testimony and how it sort of blesses you as much as it blesses them. So, Ollie, were you? did you also hear about compassion here? Um, yeah, it was on the missionary weekend. Yeah. So they had, like, a weekend of all the stalls set up, and I just saw this, you know, the compassion one and spoke to Sandra about it, and it was something that interested me. Yeah. Um, and you've also been to Ethiopia? Yeah, so we went to Ethiopia, and just before we went there... I thought, well, we're going to visit the Compassion Project, so I started to sponsor one. Um, and then when we got there, I think the expe- expectation I had of it was these children would be unhappy, mm. and they'd be quite sad, you know, like you see on TV mm. when they're asking for £2 a month. And, but when I got there, I just saw that they're actually happy, they're all smiling, they're really pleased to see us, and it was actually the small things that made a difference to them. Mm. Um, so I was just encouraged to see that and to learn that each one of them gets to learn about Jesus. There are 158,000 children gave their lives to the Lord last year through compassion projects around the world. That's another big number. Um, and we'll talk about other numbers later on. But 158,000 giving their life to Christ last year, plus family connections, because it's the local church that, that delivers the project and they are ministering into the whole family. Um, so if you could say, what one thing could you say that you would, that would maybe, there are, maybe there are some folks here who think, well, I've heard a lot about this compassion and I've been thinking about it and I've been praying about it and whether I should or whether I shouldn't. What was the one thing that you could maybe say to folks that might be the thing that says, yeah, I'm going to go for this. What, what did you get out of it? 
I think that it was a small amount of money that you can give each month and that it's going to you know, change these children's lives. And our actual tour guide that we were with, he was like, he was now working for Compassion. Mm. So he'd grown up going through the programme and, you know, it changed his life. And if that one person maybe hadn't have sponsored him, he might not be where he is. But, mm. So I think that, you know, you're, just, you're actually changing the lives of these children by not really doing anything, just giving some money and writing a few letters. Thanks, Owen. And Val, what about you? It, yeah, again, it is, it is just a small amount of money. We saw other children in the village that weren't in the project. Now, that's heartbreaking. And, <laughs> and they, they were all around the, the van, weren't they, looking at it? And it, it was just so different. But our, our boy is the top corner there, and we've only ever had a photograph of him looking as if he's in prison, looking really <laughs> sad with, with white gates behind. And when we got there... He'd got teeth. He'd got the biggest smile on right. his face. And it was just so lovely to see that he really is happy at the project. Mm. And I think there was a really happy feeling, wasn't there, at the project? It, mm. These children are now got things that they never had. Mm. And just for £25, the amount that that, that £25 does is mm. just amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Let's get a man. Thank you very much for that. It is transforming. The thing that, we, that you give them most of all, beyond the food and beyond the health checks, beyond the education even, is you give hope. When I went to Ethiopia and I saw the contrast between those who were in the project and those who were not in the project, I saw the difference between having hope and not having hope. And that is life transforming for these children. Just for... 20 minutes, we're going to share God's word together and find out what God has to say about this whole thing of social justice and I think that one is now off, yeah. And what what God has to say about social justice and the part that we can play in it and the privilege that we have as well as the responsibility. So um, we're going to uh, look at the passage that was read to us in Luke chapter 10. We'll just pray first of all, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your heart of compassion that has reached out to us. That a God who sits upon the the throne of the earth saw fit to come and live with us and reach out to us when we were in most need, when we had no hope. Lord, you came to me when I had no hope, no eternal future, and my life was transformed. Lord, I thank you for that you are a God who wants to see lives transformed. Thank you for the lives that have been uh, radically made different here in this fellowship. And pray, Lord, as we look at your word, that you will challenge us, that you will inspire us, that you will speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we will glorify your name. Amen. So we've heard about, a bit about compassion. Um, but what has, what has God got to say about some of these subjects? Well, as you can guess, I am not from Long Crendon. I'm not even from Oxfordshire. Um, I'm from, where do you think? 
Lanarkshire. Oh, that's pretty specific. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'm a West Coast Glasgow boy. Uh, not so much a boy nowadays, but I'm West Coast Glasgow. Um, was born there years ago. And Glasgow, it's... Well, if I say Glasgow to you, you've immediately got something in your mind. Don't worry, I won't ask you to describe it. Um, but has anyone here ever heard of a place called the Gorbos in Glasgow? Yes, there's a few. Well, I went to school. I was born in the Gorbos, and I went to school in the Gorbos. And it was as glorious as it sounds. It was on the River Clyde. The school was actually on the River Clyde. You know, those lovely songs, the River Clyde, the beautiful Clyde. Well, brown sludge that was going past the school at that point. I went to school in the Gorbals in the 70s. And I lived in the Gorbals. And I lived in Glasgow in the days when they were just going through what they called the, the slum clearances. So we were all living, we were six of us, four Four children, three sisters and me. Um, that was a tough upbringing, three sisters and me. They still tell me what to do. Um, but anyway, three sisters and myself, my mum and my dad. And we lived in a tenement in Glasgow, four stories up, three flats on each floor, two rooms for each flat. So one room was the bedroom for the children, four of us, two beds in that room. And the other room was living room, kitchen, my mum and dad's bedroom, the guest room, should we get guests, the place where you had your tin bath on a Friday night, it was everything else, and the toilet was on the landing outside shared by the other families. That was my upbringing, which sounds quite horrendous nowadays. It sounds as though, wow, you were living, in, by today's standards, in poverty, I loving parents. Everybody was in the same situation. You never thought anything of it. You just got on with it. But yes, I knew children who, who didn't have a change of clothes, who weren't always guaranteed a meal uh, every day, a hot meal every day. So I, that was my upbringing. And I thought, you know, when I look back at it now, I thought, wow, that's relative poverty. And it was relative poverty compared to today. But a few years ago, I was in Mumbai in India. And I don't know if you've ever been to Mumbai in India. This is a winter's day in Mumbai in India. It's hot. It's oppressive heat. It's dusty. It's loud. It's smelly. It's lots of things. It's exciting as well. But I was at a conference a few years ago in Mumbai, and I was in a five-star hotel, as you would expect as a Westerner, in this fantastic conference. And one of the days, just to get a change of scenery, um, I almost said just to get some fresh air, but you, you don't in, in a place like Mumbai. I stepped out of the hotel and I, I went to the roadside. And there I witnessed, I'd seen it before, I'd seen it on television, but there I saw in glorious technicolor, true abject poverty. I saw families living on the street. Not just hanging around on the street because they had nothing to do that day, but actually living on the street. They were having their breakfast in the street. They were getting washed in the street. They were dressing in the street. They were doing whatever you and I do in the privacy of our own home on the roadside. And I witnessed there poverty like I could 
never imagine. And it lived with me. And I almost heard God saying to me at that point in time, and what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about it, James? You've seen it. It's touched you. It's, it's, it's had an impact on your thoughts and your emotions. What are you going to do about it? I felt that was a bit of an unfair question by God, actually, if I'm really honest. Well, what do you expect me to do about it, Lord? There are 400 million children living in poverty today, abject poverty, where they are not guaranteed a meal, where they don't have a place to lay their head, where they possibly don't get an education and any access to healthcare. What do you expect me to do about 400 million children? living in poverty and I don't know about you maybe you when you look at the television and you look at the internet and the, and the websites and the, tel- and the papers and you see all around Syrian refugees fleeing to, to get some safety and some security and to bring hope into their family's life maybe like me you think the numbers are just too big this is just too big for me this is the government's problem. This is, this is some agency's problem. This is, this is the church's problem. It's not mine. It's somebody else because it's just too big. And yet your heart is touched. You want to do something about it. And you just don't know what. And God says to us here in the passage that we read that we have actually to be, we have to be touched with compassion. We have to know what it is. We, we sometimes sing that song about feeling what you feel, Lord. Let me have tears for what you have tears for. And at times it can seem quite, a, you know, quite an abstract thing. And yet God wants to do something in our lives that's going to transform us as well as transform others. So what do you feel when you see these images on television and you hear these numbers and you have it described about poverty? What do you feel? Oh, it's a shame. Oh, what a pity. And even this uh, passage that we read, the verse in verse 33 says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. But actually that isn't a deep enough word. Because, you know, sometimes when pity comes on us or we feel something, oh, that's a shame. It sort of, we feel it for a moment in time and then it disperses because life crowds in on us. Each and every one of us will get things we're dealing with, things we're coping with. And life crowds in and stuff which touches our heart, it can still dissipate. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, it has to be more than pity. It has to be compassion. With a small c. Compassion is not just feeling with someone, he says, but seeking to change the situation. Frequently, people think compassion and love are merely sentimental. He goes on to say, no, they are not merely sentimental. They are very demanding. If you are going to be compassionate, be prepared for action. Be prepared to do something about it. And that's God's challenge to all of us this morning. 
We have been given much. We live, as we have heard recently in the election, in the fifth richest country in the world. We have resources beyond many people's understanding. And God is saying to us, I want you to have my heart of compassion and to reach out with what we have and be compassionate. And in the passage that we read, God here gives us an illustration through Jesus. He gives us an illustration of what it is to be compassionate. He talks about Jesus himself mentions compassion nine times in the New Testament. And this is one of the occasions where he does it. It's a very well-known story. It was read for us, so we won't spend um, a great deal of time sort of expanding on it again. But there were three very quick questions that I would like us to look at that are actually in this passage, which can help to give us an understanding of what God expects of me and what God expects of you. The first question that's asked by this teacher of the law is, What must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the age-old question. All around the world, decade after decade, generation after generation, people ask, what must I do to be saved? Or in today's vernacular, there's got to be more to life than this. What's beyond this? And there's a twofold answer to that question that Jesus comes and says in verse 27, says you have to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind. I don't know about you, but that is tough. That is a tough bar. That is a tough standard, but it's God's standard. We have to love him with every fabric of our being. Some days that's easier than others, but that's God's command to us. The second part of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes that's equally hard. We see here this teacher of the law and in the first part of that answer, he must have felt fairly pleased with himself because as a teacher of the law, he probably was at the temple near enough every day. He was praying, he was fasting, he was giving his tithes. Yes, he may well have been, been doing it out in the open so that everybody could see he was doing it, but he was doing all of these things. And he could tick those boxes. But what was his heart motivation? What was his his reason for reaching out and and doing these things? We get a little bit of a hint as to what his motivation is. When we look at the second question, verse 29, he says, because he wanted to justify himself, well, who is my neighbour? Or another way of putting that question, it may well have been, yeah, but what can I get away with? What is the minimum I can get away with and, and still get to heaven? And Jesus answers them by telling them this parable about the Good Samaritan and the other two very religious Jews, one a priest and one a Levite. And as he tells this story about the man who has been beaten, stripped, and left half dead, Jesus is trying to make a point of, who is my neighbor? Who should I reach out to? Is it only my own immediate family? Is it only those that I have a connection with at church? Is it only those of my actual next door neighbor? Who should I reach out to? 
And here we see that this Samaritan, in verse 33, he had pity on him, or as the, the authorized version says, he had compassion on him. Something took deep root in this Samaritan, and he reached out to the man who had been beaten and left half dead. Uh, Simon Gillibod is a missionary in Burundi, and he goes to New Wine, and he speaks at New Wine, and he's a very impressive man, doing an amazing work. And he says about compassion, he says, pity cries, but it ebbs away. It's like a colander. It just drifts through. But compassion stays. It takes root, and it should motivate us to action. He and Archbishop Tutu agree. Compassion should motivate us to action. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What a verse, and we all know that verse so well. God has compassion on us. The world out there right now is reeling. Reeling from terrorist attacks and fires, accidental fires, and so many other different things. And people are looking for, and he always said, strong and safe, strong and secure government. But they are looking for strength. They are looking for security. They're looking for something to believe in when everything is in turmoil. And when we know, sitting here today, those who are disciples of Jesus, those who are followers of Jesus, that God so loved me. He reached out for me when I had no thought for him, when I was not interested in him, when I was happy to do my own thing, God decided that he was going to reach out through his son, Jesus Christ, to transform my life. He had compassion on me and on you. And God expects us, commands us, demands of us even, that we have to compassion on those that we have, that we interact with. But who is my neighbor? Back to that question again. Who is my neighbor then? Okay, you're saying, James, I've got to reach out. I've got to do something. It's about action. But who? Who should I reach out to? So which of these do you think was the neighbor? Of these three people in this uh, parable here that Jesus is explaining to the, 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 the teacher of the law? Well, of course he's saying it, it's the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who is the neighbor. It's the Samaritan, the one who was despised by the Jews, that's the one who is the neighbor, the one who really loves God because he's putting God's love in action. And yet the Samaritan, like the other two who walked up the road and who passed by on the other side, had no idea who this poor person was who had been stripped, beaten, and left half dead. There were no identifying marks. The person possibly couldn't even speak. So had no clue who he was reaching out to and yet felt that compassion, that love of God, and he said he was going to reach out and he was going to do something about it. So the, compa- the Samaritan stops and he has compassion on him. But as we heard earlier, having compassion is demanding. It has a cost. And it's not always financial. 
For the Samaritan, that cost was to his own security, his own well-being. One of the things that happened in those days is that people used to beat someone up, leave them at the side of the road, go around the corner and wait for somebody to come along and stop, and they'd go through the whole process again. So this was a, a victim who was meant to lead other victims. And this Samaritan would have known that. So he would have known there could well have been others around the corner waiting to attack him. It cost him his time. Oh, time is so valuable. When I got to this age of 50-something, I realized how valuable time is. It just seems to go so fast. It goes so quick. But it cost him his time. He put the man on his donkey, took him to the inn, and he came back the following day. It, cost him, it did cost him his money. He gave money to the innkeeper saying, look after this person. And by the way, if you need more, there is more where that came from. It may well even have cost him his reputation. Maybe he reached out to somebody who was not the sort of person you would reach out to if you were a nice Christian person. A Samaritan reaching out to maybe a Jew. Oh, you don't do things like that. And yet his heart was filled with compassion that he didn't care if he spoke the same language. He didn't care if he had the same color of skin. He didn't care if he went to the same schools he went to or the same churches he went to or if he even shared his own faith. He reached out with a heart of compassion. And God has commanded that we have to do the same. That's part of the package. It's part of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. It's part of being a follower of him. It says in John 14, If you love me, you will do what I command. Do you really love me? It says in John 21, Well, feed my sheep. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me, it says in Matthew. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Anybody who's in need is my neighbor. Whether you're next door neighbor, whether someone sitting next to you in church here, whether someone like these 15 children in Ethiopia that some of us, I mean, I sponsor a child. I've never met my sponsored child. Whether I will or not, I don't know. But we have to reach out sometimes to people that we never even meet. James, one, James 2 actually talks about your, our faith in a very practical way. You want to show me your faith? It's an action. We're not saved by our works. Of course we're not. We're saved only by the grace of God and what he's done in our life through Christ Jesus. But you want to prove your faith Get stuck in. Reach out. Have compassion on those who need our help. We're going to bring this right round now, of course, for one of the main reason that I'm here this morning is to talk about compassion with a big C. But I want to show a video, just a short four-minute video, and then I will bring to a, a close uh, what God has to want us to hear this morning. When I was eight years old, my father was taken away from us. And by that, I mean he was murdered. Nothing was the same for me. News began to come to our doorstep from our landlord. We got word that we couldn't stay in the house that we stayed anymore. 
because we couldn't afford it. My mother had no job. My father was the only breadwinner. We moved from where we stayed to a place called Naguru Kasenke, which is one of Uganda's largest slums. And then I was introduced to our new home, which was a 12 by 12 room. I looked up on the roof. It was a tin roof that had holes in it. I've been to places where when it rains, people are happy. They get excited. But for me growing up, whenever it rained, that was a night that we would stay standing. We'd get little buckets placed just where the holes in the roof are and wait until morning. A reality hit me that day. This was life. I remember when my mom said to us there was no money for food. That ushered us into a place where we were now going to begin to go to the street to fend for food. Hunger began to set in. Lack of water. I was a kid. I, I didn't have time to be a child anymore. As I lived like this on a daily basis, Poverty began to speak to me as a child. I felt I was nothing. I didn't matter. Nobody cared to know my name. I think the best way I could describe who I was and what I thought is the word hopeless. My mother, in tears, uh, approached one of her friends just to share with her friend, and her friend shared with her about compassion. Compassion staff members immediately came to our home. Uh, I remember them coming with uh, just uh, files to, to, to get details of who we were, what our story was. I got a news that a young lady, Heather, she was 15 years old, a teenager. She had decided to sponsor me. I cannot find the words to describe the joy that filled our home when we got the news. Richmond, you've got a sponsor, which means you can now go back to school. It means food will be given to us because of you. I began to walk into that reality that ushered in me an opportunity to rekindle this hope that was taken away. Heather began to write to me, hear words like, Richmond, I love you. Richmond, I'm praying for you. They began to bring healing into places that were destroyed by voices and poverty and my self-image. I remember my day, June the 3rd, 1996. I walked forward to accept the Lord Jesus in my heart. I began to feel, wow, I have been released from poverty. I have been released. God began to continue to grow the leadership within me. And then I felt fully called to pursue pastoral ministry. I began the Pastors Discipleship Network, a ministry that exists to train and equip pastors. And I spend a lot of my life training and equipping pastors in the Word of God. Looking back into my life and thinking where I am right now and what I am doing, 
I don't think any of this would have been possible without compassion. Compassion works. Everything that was placed within the program has helped build me to who I am right now. Poverty is not just the lack of money, the lack of material, food and water. Poverty is in, it's deep. I credit a lot of how I feel now about myself to those letters that I received from my sponsor. My name is Richmond Wandera, and I was released from poverty in Jesus' name. It's a powerful video. There's a young man who lost his father, as we think of Father's Day, and with it, lost hope. And yet a young 15-year-old girl that he had never met reached out and said, I'm going to sponsor a young man called Richmond who I may never meet and whose life has not only transformed his own but those of many others around him. As we said about in James, show my faith by what I do. He's done everything for us. The Lord Jesus has done everything for us. We are blessed beyond measure. Yes, we have personal circumstances and personal difficulties, but we are blessed beyond measure. And God expects us to respond to this word of compassion. And maybe you're already doing it as a church, and thank you, Pastor Neil, and all of those who are already so committed to the work of compassion, thank you so much for what you do. Many lives transformed like Richmond's lives. But maybe you're doing other things. Maybe it is with your own neighbor or in your own community or through another charity or whatever it is you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. Reaching out and touching and changing and having compassion on other people's lives. If you feel at that point, actually, I'm already doing plenty, James. Bless you for that. But of course... I do come and I do represent children this morning. Um, got one more short present, uh, PowerPoint here. I've got a number of profiles with me, all from the project where folks here are already sponsoring children. And this is a little girl called Sifin from Ethiopia, and she's four. And sadly for her, she doesn't have a mother or a father on Father's Day. Her grandmother is looking after her. And she lives in poverty with a dirt floor and mud walls and a tin roof. And she lives in the unimaginable, unimaginable circumstances. I've mentioned a lot of numbers this morning. Well, here's another number. One. One. One child. We can make a difference in one child's life maybe not 400 million but they all add up and this morning I would challenge hopefully inspire, encourage reach out and make a difference in someone's life tomorrow, this week this month if you want to make a difference in Stephen's life and others like her well I have a number of profiles with me at the end of the service I'll be out there. Hopefully, I'll have a cup of tea in one hand and I'll have a pen in the other. Come and see me. Ask your questions if you have questions about the work of compassion. Um, and you know, if, if there's anything that you want to know, 
please come and see me. If you want to fill in a, a profile, that would be a, a joy. Make a difference in one child's life today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us. We are blessed beyond measure. We have privilege beyond measure. Yet, Lord, we also recognize that we have a responsibility. You want us to be your hands and your mouth and your feet to those that we come in contact with. You want us to be your heart. You want people to be able to read me and say, there is a follower of Jesus because the love of God shines from me and from us. Lord, I pray for the fellowship here. Lord, I thank you for their generosity, not just with compassion, but all of the other things that were mentioned, toy box and various other things where they're reaching out not only to their local community, but to the ends of the earth. Lord, thank you for their heart and for reaching out, for fulfilling your commands to be compassionate. Lord, I pray that you will bless them abundantly because as you bless, they bless others. And Lord, I pray that you would do something in them, that they will see such fantastic things happen in the lives of their families, of their neighbors, and beyond as they reach out to fulfill the commands of the Lord. Lord, we want you to be glorified in our life. We want your love to be the motivating factor in our life as we reach out to others.